Hey, Beth. Hi, Jenna. How are you doing? I'm okay. We're here chatting because we want to share something really special with all of our best friends Mm -hmm. on the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) This week, Father Parks came over and we've had some really beautiful, really convicting conversations about racism, about the church, about social justice, about personal holiness and conversion and purification of our own hearts. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's providence in this because Father Parks was on an eight-day silent retreat over the octave of Pentecost, which you just have to understand what a personal gift that was (laughs) to Father Parks. He loves the Holy Spirit. Mm. He so wants to see revival in the church. He wants a personal Pentecost for each and every one of us. He regularly prays for a Pentecost in the Diocese of Phoenix, a new Pentecost in the church. So for him to go and be just immersed in the love and the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit, but then to come back into this national conversation that had been ramping up during that time, he brought a unique perspective. Yeah, I think it was really beautiful for me. I just like got this image of Jesus going away in the desert. And when he came back, I'm sure it wasn't like lollipops and gummy bears happening in the world. He came back fortified with the Holy Spirit to like do his life's work. And I think in a really small, 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 tiny way, Father Parks gave that to us. He was fortified and strengthened by the Holy Spirit to come back into the chaos of the world and to really speak truth into it to convict us and just have a soft heart for each other, to hear each other's stories, to make space for each other. And it was beautiful for him to do the Teachable Tuesday for us and just share his wisdom with us. Yeah, he came and was able to refocus the conversation for me on Christ, on the church, on her teachings on social justice. This is a moment where the culture and the church collide. And thank God for that. Because the church has a lot to say. The church has a lot to give. But to keep Christ at the center of the conversation, I think was a huge gift. Well, it was to me. And we hope this is a consolation to you too, that Christ is with you in the suffering, that the church is for you. I think my favorite part of Father's Teachable Tuesday, spoiler alert, is that he said, in our prayer, the Holy Spirit will convict us and ask us to do something uncomfortable. I'm leaning into that. And it's been beautiful to see the Lord stretching my heart. And I'm looking forward to see what fruit he's trying to bear in these conversations. So friend, we're excited to share this Teachable Tuesday with you. And as a bonus, you get to hear Father and Jenna's conversation on the Q&A, which we do every week. But it was really cool that he just made himself available to kind of talk to the community at large. And we hope it really blesses you. We love you. We're praying for you. And we'll talk soon. Hey, everybody. I'm Beth Davis. And welcome to Teachable Tuesday. I have a little surprise for you today. It's actually kind of a big surprise. It's amazing. I'm here, as you can see. Jenna will be here a little bit later. But... 
Uh, for Teachable Tuesday today, we have a very special guest. Our dear Father John Parks is with us. He's gonna share, oh, here he is. <laughs> He's gonna share his heart. If you don't know, Father John Parks is currently the Vicar for Evangelization for the Diocese of Phoenix, and he is our ministry's spiritual advisor. He is fresh off an eight-day silent retreat, which happened over the octave of Pentecost. So you know, there's some holy fire coming your way today. And it was important to us to have Father Parks as a part of this very important ongoing conversation. We want you to hear a bit more of our hearts this morning and to pray with you and with him. So welcome, Father Parks. Hi, everyone. Great to see you. As Beth said, it's a great joy to be with you. And as she also said, one of the unusual things is that a week ago, this last week, I was on a silent retreat. So I just really got back to the land of the talking in about the last uh, 24 to 36 hours. So it's really a great joy to be with you. Uh, what I want to do today is just give some uh, simple reflections about kind of the state of what's going on in the world and just offer a, a, a God's word to us in that. And uh, there's a lot of things that I could say and my proposal is very modest and in the midst of it, you'll see what that uh, proposal is. So do we pray now? Do we pray now? Yeah, okay, great, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Come Holy Spirit, God our Father, we thank you for the gift of this day and the gift of faith. We ask that you would abide in us this day, that we would know you, that we would seek your face, that we would be filled by your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, which dwells in us, that you abide in us, that you dwell in us. Thank you. And Lord, please give me a fire and grace to speak your words with truth and with love and prepare our hearts to receive your word. And we pray this, Jesus, to your most holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, recently I watched a documentary on the life of Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court Justice. One of the things that I learned in this documentary was that Clarence Thomas at one point was studying to be a Catholic priest. And he was in seminary in the 1960s during the really tumultuous time during the Civil Rights Movement. He tells a story that as he was in seminary, he was the only black in the seminary at that time, and uh, he said one day he was in class and students would pass notes and he received a note. And the note said, I like Dr. Martin Luther King. And then he opened the note and it said, dead. And he said he was so mad, he was so furious at that, uh, he didn't know what to do. He kind of stormed out of uh, that classroom. And then he said a little later, um, it was announced on the news that Dr. King had been shot and he said that he heard another seminarian say, oh, I, I hope he dies. And again, he was so furious at, at what he had heard. And in this documentary, he says that he really felt like the church could have done more to combat racism at that time. And if you know anything about his story, he then goes and politically goes way to the left and he gets part of all these movements. And today, uh, he's come back to his faith, but he was just really let down. And I remember watching that documentary and thinking about the killing of George Floyd. And I actually just rewatched it yesterday, being back in town. And I had never seen kind of the whole video unedited. And uh, it was, it's just really, really hard to watch. It's, it's, uh, it's really horrific um, to watch another human being put their knee and be so reckless with their life and then that person to be killed because of it. But anyway, I, the point I'm bringing this up is because I'm under the general impression that America was a, a racist place, very racist place, like in the 1960s. Like if I had to guess on a scale, it's not like a nine out of 10. And I'm on the general impression that America today is not nearly as institutionally racist today. Like I would guess like a two out of 10. And then when the 
killing of George Floyd occurs and then we see the civil unrest and the rioting and all of that, it makes me ask the question, maybe it's more racist than I thought. Maybe it's not a two, maybe it's a three or four or five, I don't know. And it's, it will be on the scope of this talk, this little brief reflection to, to get into all of that. But it makes me ask the question, how racist of a country is America? I just say that to acknowledge that, that uh, there, you might be in a similar place. I was talking to a friend of mine recently and he said for people on the way one to one side, we could say the left, he says that they think the, the killing of George Floyd explains everything. That's America, that's what it's like. That's really what America's like. We just saw its face, you know? Or to some people, it's in the way, politically right, he would say that for them, the killing of George Floyd uh, means nothing. Like, oh, it's just a, like a statistical anomaly. No, no. The cops kill more white people, right? So he says it either means everything or it means nothing. But he says there are a lot of people in the middle who are like, well, I think it means something, obviously. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much of that accurately reflects uh, the experience of all the people of color in America. So anyway, I just say that to acknowledge that. That's where my heart is. I don't have answers to that. I would just say that I'm working through that. And I imagine there's lots of you working through that too. And if you're one of those people who think, okay, well, however institutionally racist America is, but whatever barometer you're using, which are three or four, uh, as somebody who loves Jesus, as somebody who loves people, I want to do something about it. I saw the, the killing of this man, uh, which was horrific. And obviously of this unrest, people's hearts are very angry and frustrated. And I'm hearing more from my black brothers and sisters. I'm hearing more about their experiences. And I'm thinking maybe it's harder than I thought to be a person of color in America. And that pains my heart. And I want to do something about that. So to those people, I just want to let God's word speak to them. So that's really my modest uh, proposal for this. And I want us to turn to a scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And let the word of God speak to us right uh, in that place, that desire. St. Paul says, you know, when part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers, that I want to be a part of consoling my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and in the world. So this is the scripture. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what the word of God says. And the first thing that we should do, the first thing I should do about this is we should humble ourselves, we should get on our knees, and we should pray, and we should seek God's face. Always. That's the first thing we should always do. Father, what is your solution to this problem? You don't think God has a heart for this problem? You don't think we need Pentecost right now? You don't think we need unity? We don't need, think we need the fire of God's love? You don't think we need forgiveness right now? Father, what is your plan? What is your will for this solution, for this problem? What is your solution? That's the question we always want to ask God the Father first. And Jesus says in John 15, he says, He who abides in me and I in him, he it is who will bear much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I just have to dispel this myth because I feel it's, it's in the ether and this might be something you've experienced. I feel like when people who aren't religious hear people who are religious, they hear Catholics, they hear Christians, they hear people who love Jesus say things like, we need to pray about this. I'm afraid that what they hear is, oh, what you're really saying is we're going to do nothing. Praying is like when you just like console yourself with some like, comforting religious thoughts and you go into a church maybe or your room it's like an ostrich putting his head in the sand but really practically what you're saying is you're going to do nothing 
That's what you mean when you say, oh, let's, let's pray about that. And first of all, I just want to say that if you think of religion as just comfort, like it just wants to comfort you, then there's nothing more irreligious, if that's your definition of religion, than the crucifixion of Jesus. Because if religion just helped to make you comfortable, then at the center of it, you don't want humiliation, torture, and the crucifixion and death of a man, who is the God-man, who is Jesus. But that is, in fact, what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, I only wanted to preach one thing, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what I want to proclaim to you. So this idea that religion just makes us comfortable and we pray, it just comforts us, and that's really so that we can feel better to not do anything. Those people have not encountered the living God. They have not encountered Jesus of Nazareth. That's not what God is like, the God of peace, the God of justice, the God of mercy. And I want to give you a very short example from my own life. When I was in seminary, I met another seminary, and he used to say, seminary is a time to learn to love your lepers. And he stole that from the life of St. Damien of Molokai, who, when Damien of Molokai was alive, there was a leper colony in modern-day Hawaii, and people didn't want to go there. They were afraid. They were afraid they were going to get leprosy. It was very hard work to love these people, and they didn't want to go, but he went. And when he went there, if you know his story, he eventually contracts leprosy from loving these people, and he dies and becomes a saint for his heroic love of these people, these lepers. That's the same Damien of Molokai. And so what he was saying, the seminarian in that, that little mantra, Seminary is a place to learn to love your lepers, is that let God call you into the thing that you're afraid of and let him change your heart. And so I remember I was a seminarian, like second year, and we have apostolates, ministries that you can sign up for. And it was like hospital ministry, and I wasn't that afraid of it. I'd done some hospital ministry. One of them was prison ministry, and I was like, ooh, that would be kind of rough. And I'd heard from other seminarians. It's pretty intense. Some of the prisoners can kind of mock seminarians. But the one I was actually most afraid of was to do ministry to those who had serious physical and mental handicaps. That was the one I was most afraid of. But from that mantra and the more I prayed, I just felt God was saying, I need you to sign up for this one. This is what you need to do. So I did, I signed up. There were these Catholic sisters who ran this beautiful home with these brothers and sisters who had serious mental and physical handicaps. And I I was just so uncomfortable because I didn't, I loved them, but I didn't know how to love them. I didn't know how to relate to them. I felt totally powerless. That's why I was so afraid. So I would just show up every week. I would show up every week and I was like, all right, God, I'm, I'm here because I love you. And you know, once you sign up, you can't unsign up. It's like, all right, I'm going to keep going. And if I'd be totally honest with you, the most difficult time was actually lunchtime. The way that some of them ate, I just found really difficult and I would immediately lose my appetite. And I would just have to stare at my plate and the sister would say, oh, are you not hungry? You, you eat so little. And I couldn't have the heart to say, I'm so sorry. I know this is not right, but I just... I sometimes lose my appetite. I'm sorry about that. And I just, I don't have the heart to tell you that, but it was just so difficult. I was was just learning to be with these people, to love them. My point in telling you that story is that's what prayer does. It's not some wishful fantasy. It convicts your heart. We believe as Catholics that holiness is the perfection of love, period, full stop. That's it. You are holy to the degree that you love. Racism is a sin. It's a lack of love. It's an inability to see the dignity of the human person, this person in front of me, a child beloved by God. It's a violation of love. And when you pray and God convicts your heart, he will make you holy and he will make you more loving. So the first thing, if you and I want to be a part of the solution, is we need to humble ourselves, as the scripture is saying, the word of God, We need to seek his face and we need to pray. And guess what? If you do that and you're persistent, God will tell you what to do and it might not be comfortable. 
it might be real uncomfortable. Like, wow, Lord, Lord that's really beautiful. That's really powerful. I'm, I, I want to do that, but that's not going to be easy. It's like walking on water. I'm like, how am I going to do that, Lord? Right? So we need to seek God's face and say, God, what are you inviting me to do? What are you calling me to do in my parish? What are you calling me to do in my school? What are you calling me to do in my neighborhood? What are you calling me to do in my community? God, convict my heart. I'm seeking your face. I believe it's your will to heal the land of my country. And you have the power to do that. And you said apart from you, I can do nothing. So I'm seeking your face, God. Lord, I know this means more to you than it means to me. You hate destruction, Lord. You hate disunity. It's the opposite of Pentecost. So send your fire in my heart, God. Transform me. What should I do? How can I be the solution? So we always have to start there first. Seek his face and humble ourselves. He says, if my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And what God's going to permanently do is he's going to convict us of our sin. If there's anything that we've done or haven't been doing, he's going to convict us. And I just want to be so clear about this. God operates not in fear. He does not operate in accusation, but he will convict hearts. But conviction interiorly is the spirit of being lifted up and like God's showing you something in the light. And you're both lifted up and yet convicted. It's like a, okay, Lord, I need to do something about that. You're bringing that to my mind. So there is a lot of fear on the internet. People can tell you how you're wicked. I'm saying, let's go before God. Let's let him examine our hearts. Let's say, God, you tell me what your will is for my country, how I can be a part of this solution. And let him convict our hearts of what we need to do. And this is a friendly reminder to all of you out there, a friendly reminder to me. When we die, we are not going to meet or be judged by Twitter or the court of public opinion or history books. We will be confronted by Jesus of Nazareth, who is the judge of the living and the dead. That is who I will have to make an account to, and that's who you will have to make an account to in your life. The God of peace, the God of mercy, the God of justice, the God of love. That's who I have to make an account to in my life. And when I encounter him, he's going to say, what did you do to love my brothers and sisters? And I will have to make an account of my life. Lord, here's how I tried to love. Here's how I tried to let you abide in me so I could be a person of unity, person of mercy, a person of peace, a person of just in my place where you placed me, God. You're in control of all of it. That's way beyond me, God. You're not calling me to change everything. You're calling me to do my part in my neighborhood, in my life. Convict this heart, God. That's what I'm asking for. So again, that's who we're preparing to meet, Jesus. Not all these other things. Those things will pass. We want to listen to the voice of Jesus. So that's also a friendly reminder to all of us. If we're praying 10 minutes a day and we're kind of obsessively reading about it four hours a day, that may not help us to really be able to hear his voice. We might start to take on the fear of the world and not to be like, you're not doing enough. And that might feel accusation or fear, but God does not operate in that. He may very seriously convict our hearts. That's what we need to listen to. And that's what we need to respond to. So to review, how systematically racist or institutionally racist America, I, I, I don't know. But there are people, Catholics, people of goodwill. It's where my heart is. I know a lot of your hearts in the same place, but I want to do something. What should I do to love my brothers and sisters who experience this? And what the word of God is saying to us Seek his face, humble and seek his face. Every human revolution always begins in the same place, which is the human heart. Always. 
Dr. Peter Kraft wrote a book called How to Win the Culture War. And in the end, he asked the question, who wins the culture war? And he says very simply, saints do. Because Jesus wins the culture war and saints are little Christs. They've so sought his face They've so humbled himself to say, God, operate in me, abide in me, God. I can't control any other human heart but this one. So convict this one and tell me what to do so that I can have you live through me. That's what I'm asking for, God. I can't tell you how much the Father loves that prayer. I can't tell you, the Father, that we want to be like his son, Jesus. I want to have a metanoia. I want to have a conversion. I want to be holier, which means I want to be better at loving my brothers and sisters, fighting sin in my country, and that starts in my heart. This is what the word says. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's a promise from God. If we want healing in our land, if we want the forgiveness of our sins, We need to seek his face. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God, our Father, we seek your face. Reveal your face to us. Father, we behold you beholding us. Lord, what do you see when you see us? Father, how do you see us? Convict our hearts, Jesus that we would be like you, that we would have the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us clarity and conviction about your will for our lives to be people of unity, people of peace, people of forgiveness, people of mercy, people of justice. That you would write the narrative of our lives, that you would write the narrative of our response in this situation. Not the internet, not what other people say we should do, but what you say we should do. That you, the author, would write the narrative of our life of how to respond in this way. Command what thou wilt, Lord, and then give what thou commandest. Give us your grace. Give us your life. And Mother Mary, you are the mother of the church. You are the mother of unity. You crush the head of Satan in our lives and in the world. Please protect us in your mantle. We trust all that we have and all that we are to you that you would teach us how to allow Jesus to live more perfectly in us. So we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm Jenna Gizar, by the way. I'm the founder of Blessed Is She. This is Father Parks who just so kindly did Teachable Tuesday for us. So we're here if you have any questions. Um, we usually do a Q&A at the end of Teachable Tuesday, so we're just here to do that and to be with you and go where the spirit leads. And if there aren't any questions, that's great too. I highly encourage you to go check out the Teachable Tuesday that Father just shared with us, but we are here in case there are any. <laughs> Favorite worship songs right now. I like starting light. Do you have a favorite worship song right now, Father? Um, there's this uh, fake news thing. It's like the Onion for Catholics called Babylon B. Yeah. Maybe like, you know, one of the one of the recent headlines was something like, uh, "Caleb breaks record by not playing Waymaker for 12 minutes." Oh my gosh. So anyway, so anyway, I do really like Waymaker. I know that's so everyone. Yeah. Uh, on the way here, I was listening to a "Touch the Sky." So I just, oh, I love that song. I really love that song. Yeah. And. Um, 
Yeah, I also listen to that song, uh, Who the Sun Sets Free is Free Indeed. I'm a child of God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who do you say I am? Who, yeah, who do you say so I am? I think am? that's it. Yeah, Some yeah. people who are non-singers are trying to, they don't want to like sing it for you, but they're like, you know that one. I can't sing either, so this would just so, be horrible if we just got, it, got into it. They hear me sing a lot, actually. My favorite worship song right now is You Always Restore by Upper Room. Because <laughs> it's been my anthem for like a year and a half. Still applies in literally every situation. So, loving that. I'm struggling with anger towards white people. Do you want to share any thoughts on that, Father? Yeah, so a couple things. Uh, first, uh, we'll take it on the spiritual level, and then we'll take it on the human level. The spiritual level is, um, so in our prayer, uh, we want to always acknowledge uh, how we're feeling, and then very concretely relate that to the Lord. So um, God knows my heart, and um, if I'm a stranger to God, God will be a stranger to me. If I share the superficial things in my heart with God, our, our relationship will be superficial. But if I share with him everything, my fears, my angers, my playful dreams, my hopes, anxieties, everything, then the depth of my relationship with God is unfathomable, how deep it can go. And so um, to be able to acknowledge in concrete language, God, this is why I'm struggling with anger with white people, because of fill in the blanks, what I'm seeing or not seeing them do. And very concretely acknowledging that and giving, relating that to the Lord, just in very simple language. Jesus, I relate this feeling to you, that I'm really frustrated, I'm really angry. You know, the Catechism says the Psalms teach us how to pray, and the Psalms are very intense. They're very intense. They say things like, my only friend is darkness. Uh, my, my enemy's heads be crushed against rocks. It's like, whoa. So anyway, I think what these psalms are doing is giving us permission to be as real, as honest, as raw with God as we, as we want to be. And that actually is the key to our relationship with God, that growth in prayer occurs through mutual self-revelation. So I have to continue to rebuild my heart. So I would acknowledge that. I would relate that to God in very concrete language. And then I would receive from him what he has to say and what he's calling you in light of that. We see this dynamic with Mary and the angel Gabriel. God appears to her, tells her something. She acknowledges it and relates back to him. How can this be if I have no relationship to a man? Then she receives what God says. Well, power And then she says what she's going to do. Let it be done to me according to thy word. So at the end, she responds. So that's called R, A-R-R-R. Acknowledge, relate, receive, respond. So the first thing I would say is that that's what you want to do. I would acknowledge that very concretely with the Lord. And I would pour my heart out to the Lord. And I would relate that to him. And I would receive from him what he has to me in that place. God wants you to have peace in your heart. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say peace just overrides those things that he wants to be real. And real peace comes through being real with him and knowing that I'm actually loved in this place. Whatever that is, that I'm frustrated, things aren't moving fast enough, or they could be doing more. And then from there, what, what he convicts your heart of, just like when you read in that word, I would do that. There's always a struggle I have when we do things like this, this Q&A, because if you were like in my office and you were to say that, I would want to know everything about that. And I would ask questions for like an hour. I would tell me about that. I would tell me about this. And yeah. when you're online, you can give kind of principles, but you can't like, we can't like get into. And then after you shared all about it with me, I would just say, have you related this to the Lord? Just like you're telling me, I mean, he's here with us now, but just, you, you just have to relate that to him. What, what is he saying you should do? Father, some people are asking about priests who like don't acknowledge us and don't acknowledge us pain and just like kind of how to wrestle with that I think internally in prayer and I don't know what to do with their anger towards like why people aren't saying anything yeah well, just a personal story uh, my parents separated when I was very young and they divorced when I was about nine and we had a pastor and he always knew the church does uh doesn't like divorce the church allows for divorce in some cases when there's like violence going on in the family but of course they're still sacramentally married and have to honor 
that. There's a lot of things I could say about that in omelets, but that would be way beyond. The point is, is that my mother had gone through this and my, my parents were seen as very, very good Catholics. And then the, the community was kind of shocked and scandalized that they were separated and then divorced. And my mother was talking about how we need a ministry for children of divorced kids. But I think the pastor thought like, well, to have that, we're kind of acknowledging that, are we encouraging that, mm. th those sorts of things, right? And so anyway, the point is she met with him and she shared her heart about what, what it had been like for her and mm. her heart that, you know, I, I wanted this marriage to continue and so on and so forth. And that conversation changed him and he allowed uh, for this ministry to occur. So I'm just saying that as an encouragement to you. If you feel like priests, we're like everyone else, we're not acknowledging something enough, you have something in your experience, then I would just say, I would like to meet with you. And Father, I just want to share with you my experience. And I've never heard my experience articulated from the pulpit. So what does God have to say to me? And I think it's important for our community, for you, because you're the head of our community, you're the pastor, you represent Christ in the church, to acknowledge this publicly. And uh, I think there's so much truth to that. Another thought, years ago I was reading this article, I don't know how to say his name, sorry, I think it's Ta-Nehisha Coates. He was talking about um, reparations to, to black people for slavery. And he was interviewing President Obama about that. And one of the things President Obama said in that discussion is he said, I think he said part of, I think, the, the conversation about slave reparations is that for a lot of African Americans, just having the conversation feels like somebody's acknowledging this thing. Mm -hmm. And that's very powerful and be very healing just to acknowledge that. To use a more, you know, in the church's um, sins, we think about like the sex abuse scandal. Sometimes when somebody's abused by a priest, if another priest who obviously had nothing to do with it says, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And that was not right. And just listens and loves them. That can be very healing. So in other words, to come full circle, to meet with your pastor and to say that you're saying, Father, um, God is real and he loves us and he acknowledges us. And I need you to hear as one of your sheep this from my heart, and I think it would be powerful for you to acknowledge this in some way. Uh, Pope Francis, he wants shepherds that smell like the sheep, which means we need to know the lives of our people. So that would be my concrete suggestion for that. Thanks, Father. That's yeah. good. How do we cultivate peace in our heart when there's so much negativity around us right now? Yeah, so I've probably shared this with you before. It's something that I could be reminded of all the time. Uh, if we had two circles, the smaller circle is called our circle of influence. And the larger circle is called our circle of concern. And for every person, our circle of concern is larger than our circle of influence. So our circle of concern is like, uh, what's going to happen in the United States economy? Uh, how is that coronavirus thing going? That, you know, that pandemic going? And so we have all these concerns, what, what, um, but that are beyond my power. And then I have what's called my circle of influence. It's like, what's going on in my neighborhood? What's going on at my school? How is my marriage doing? How are my kids doing? How are my friends doing? So on and so forth. How are my parents doing? Um, and for all of us, there can be a temptation to focus too much on our circle of concern, which ultimately we don't have power over, and that diminishes our circle of influence. Mm -hmm. Rather than to say, let me fo focus on my circle of influence. So that's why I was saying, you know, uh, we see unrest. You, you watch the news, and there's, there's buildings burning down all across America, and it's so overwhelming. It reminds me a little bit when 9-11 occurred. We would just stare at those planes flying in to the, the buildings and, and it, like we knew it wasn't like helping the situation but it was like so hard not to just keep watching just like endlessly these images and it could lead to negativity and being overwhelmed because I'm so concerned about that but God I, I can't do that so God of course is bigger than all of that and he has a heart for all that his heart can contain all of that so I should entrust that to him but then from there again I'm letting God commit my heart what can I do in my circle of influence 
So that's, I think, a concrete way to fight negativity. Sometimes negativity can grow when I'm reading about all sorts of things and narratives. And I'm getting overwhelmed by my circle of concern, which I have no power over, and I feel powerless, and nothing's going to change, and this is hopeless. Rather than saying, there are, there are people of color in my neighborhood, and they're the only ones. And it's never really occurred to me to welcome them. So I feel like God's invited me to do that. I'm going to do that. That's going to be kind of uncomfortable and be a little awkward. But uh, God knows my heart. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm just trying to let people. That's something practical that I can do. And then I'm seeing fruit in, in my life. And I'm seeing God work through that. So that's just a practical solution really to focus on what I have power over. And not be so overwhelmed mm. by um, my circle of concern. And of course, that's directly tied to our, our news feeds. If we're just constantly yeah. uh, in our news feed. It can just stir up our anger and we can just stay in that loop. Where we're just always angry. There's always another article, another video to watch that's just going to keep me like yeah. on edge. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So. Um, this gal says, how do I reach my 20-something daughter who's deeply upset by all the police brutality videos she's seen? Young people are so angry about the injustice and I can't turn her to prayer. I would uh, listen to her. I would ask a lot of questions. Uh, tell me about that. Uh, what does that do to your heart when you watch those videos? Um, so on and so forth. Um, and then, it, uh, I, you know, you can ask a very simple question like, well, what, what should we do about it? Uh, Dad, I think we should go to this rally. Okay, I, I would do research. Not all rallies are created equal. And uh, that has to be all negotiated. Uh, you know, I've I prayed rosary in front of abortion clinics and there were other people there that were using methods that I didn't agree with. I could either leave or just pray and, across the street. And so that all has to be negotiated. Sometimes you don't agree with everything in a rally, but the majority of it's good, so you go. Other times, other rallies fly under banners, which are kind of intrinsically, they hold a lot of views that are not commensurate with the gospel. So that also be negotiated. If that was the solution though, and you thought, yeah, let's do that. I think that would be bonding for both of you. It would show that like, I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to uh, know your experience. I want to love you better. And if you have a passion for this, then I want to have a passion for this. Mm -hmm. So there's an old saying that when you, when you love God, you start to love what God loves. And so if you love your daughter, you want to love what she loves. So it's like, I love you and you have a passion for this and a passion for justice. Uh, tell me about that. And I want to, I want to learn from you about that. So anyway, that's a concrete thing you can do. This is from Lena Lena. Do you think by going back to the sphere of influence versus circle of concern, circle of concern, mm -hmm. if we tell people like not to see those things, does that encourage complacency? It's like how we say, don't turn away from the horror of abortion. We have to see it to be angered by it to truly change. So I guess one question I would ask practically back is how much do I need to watch one video, I 10 see. videos, a hundred videos, a thousand videos. I need to watch 5,000 videos. I need to watch five hours, 10 hours, 25 hours of YouTube clips of just police brutality or so on and so forth. So one thing I would say, Jesus says you judge a tree by its fruit. So for me, uh, I feel like God has made me a natural encourager. I love encouraging people. So I feel like the evil one works in my life by discouraging me. Discouraging mm -hmm. me is very powerful for me in a negative way. Okay. And so when, for me, uh, I read something, I get convicted, I want to do something about it. But if I keep reading, I can see that interiorly I start to turn or I start to get discouraged. And then what I can concretely do to love people and actually be a part of the solution, that starts to be taken away from me. And that's what I'm saying. So if that's the fruit that it's bearing in my life, that I'm getting so discouraged that it's like, this is never going to change. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is it. This is the narrative and I can't change it. Well, then I think we've, we've interiorly, we've gone too far. Now we have a, a spirit of defeatism. We have a spirit of, right? Fear. We have a spirit mm -hmm. of, things are never going to change. That's just not the spirit of God. So that would be the tension or the balance you're trying to hold there. I agree with you. Um, we need to 
shine the light on things. We need to point out injustice when we see it, absolutely. Um, but as you know, with our phones though, we have infinite access to watch injustice. And so I would say, what kind of fruit is it bearing in your life? People have to differently, you know, negotiate that. Right. It's all it's all our own kind of personal discernment with that. Yeah. Yeah. People are are likening you to Saint Barnabas. Saint Barnabas. Oh, the son of encouragement. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. I could have been Barnabas Parks. That's a good name. <laughs> you could still change Barney. your name. But then your nickname would be Barney. Yeah. Or that's Nibis. Not good. No, I'm sorry. Bark Barney. Um, can you speak more about the fruit we should be seeing? So. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says, to love is to will the good of the other as other. So we should be changed by it. I'm going to say something unpleasant, but I, but I think it's true. Here goes. Um, I think this is going to happen again. Yeah. Like this might happen again a year from now. It might blow up again. And can I say, I'm a different person today than I was a year ago. Because those events in May and June, uh, a lot of it really broke my heart seeing my, my country, what was going on. And I humbled myself and I prayed and I seek God's face and he challenged me in these ways mm -hmm. and I did them. And I moved out of my comfort zone and I did some challenging things and I'm a different person because of that. Because again, conversion, personal holiness, my friends, if that's not the answer, I don't know what, what to, if that's not the personal answer, I don't know what to tell you. The catechism says there is such a thing as like systemic sin, but it says all systemic sin comes from personal sin. So I would say the fruit we'd see ultimately is love. I know that's kind of uh, um, ambiguous or that's kind of theoretical, but I would say in your own life, you could say, could I say three months from now, six months from now, I've been changed by this. This was brought to my attention and I'm a different person and I can tell you how I've taken concrete ways to be a person of love, person of justice, person of unity, so on and so forth. Nell asked, have you found um, particular priests or bishop? I know you were gone. Yeah, yeah. So in those ways, I'm like the worst person to ask. Yeah. Like I'm like coming. So maybe up. you guys could share in the comments. Uh, um, but this is a question: if if you found particular priests or bishops who are preaching on this topic that you'd recommend we tune into. So we shared um, on Blessed Is She um, about the CFRs discussion on this topic. It's on Ascension Presents YouTube. Their conversation was beautiful. Um, I really encourage you to go read that. That's one thing that I saw, again, our Bishop Olmsted did a beautiful homily and mass yesterday specific to this topic that I also shared on our Instagram. Anyone else? Uh, somebody's saying Father, Father Josh Mike Johnson. Schmitz. Somebody's saying Father, Father Josh Mike Schmitz. Johnson did an interview with Father Mike Schmitz um, that I heard was beautiful. I haven't seen that one yet. Um, Father Josh Johnson's podcast has a rosary specific for racial reconciliation, racial injustice to pray against it. So yeah, please keep sharing. Last thing I would say is that um, Somebody just said Bishop Barron mentioned it in his Pentecost homily, and then somebody said okay. Father Josh Johnson and Father Mike Schmitz had a great discussion about it. Yeah. Irish Mexi said, A lot of people worry that the Catholic Church and parishioners only focus on abortion and nothing else, and it's off-putting to any other sin because it, it's not abortion that they want to talk about at this time. Yeah. Well, if it's not abortion, they don't want to hear about it. That's her yeah, so of it. Yeah, so I would say um, somebody would coming from that place would say, I'm Catholic, uh, I'm black, and I see some of my Catholic friends when something comes out that's uh, supporting abortion, they very kind of loudly and vociferously defend life, pre-born life. And I think that's great because that is the foundation of the church's teaching on life. The, the, the floor of the church's life is the right to life, right? But racism is also a life issue. That's what the USCCB doc on our racism 
says, and it's true. And of course, it's a sin against the dignity of the human person. And so there's a feeling of, well, where are my brothers and sisters when things like this happen? Uh, what are they doing to, de to defend me? I hear that. I'm totally sympathetic to that. So again, for, um, if, if you feel like you're not hearing enough, I would say, number one, then am I sharing the message? Am I doing my part? And then to go back to somebody else said, what's going on in my parish? What's going on in my community? Do I need to have a conversation with somebody? My pastor, perhaps, or just someone and just to say, hey, I want to talk about this. I want to acknowledge this. So anyway, those are practical ways in our lives that we can be a part of the, con the solution and have those conversations. Thanks, Father. Some people mentioned the fruits of the Holy Spirit, too, when we were talking about bearing fruit. Oh, nice, yeah. Shout out to the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I guess Father Mike Schmitz honored George Floyd as well in his Pentecost homily that people said. Um, I will go check that out. Hi, how was your retreat? Can you share anything? Sure. Uh, Beth just asked me how my retreat was. Uh, it was amazing. So I am going to be a pastor on July 1st for the first time, which I'm super excited about. And uh, I would say that to explain the retreat, uh, Jesus just reminded me that communion with him changes everything. Mm -hmm. So abide in me and I in you. And that everything flows from that. Nothing happens without him. So he was very clear about that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just really delightful to be, to be loved by him, just to spend a week with him. So it's great. And it's all relationship. You can abide in Jesus all the time. You, the Trinity lives inside of you. That's just wild. Truly. How can we discern our specific role in fighting injustice? I think it kind of probably goes back to Teachable Tuesday. That would be a question for, for, the, for the Lord. I'm free to ask okay. the Lord. Okay. Um, yeah, the church teaches, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that each person has been given a charism for the world. Each has been given a gift for the building up of the whole. Each person. Oh, every priest, every bishop, every... No, no, no. Every single person. Only people of a certain age, only people... Every person has been given a gift for building up the body of Christ. What is your gift and how is God inviting you to be a part of unity in our culture right now? That's as unique as each person. There's more difference, St. Teresa of Avila says, in our souls than in our faces. That's how different each soul is, because each soul is differently loved by God. Which actually gives you a personality. My, my personality is different than Jenna's, is because we're loved differently by God. Wow. Isn't that wild? We have like yeah. a unique relationship with God. So therefore, when you ask a question like that, I don't know, but ask him. It's going to be fun, because he's the conductor, and we're, he wants to get symphonic, which means he wants all of his instruments. I'm sorry, these analogies are going too far. And so we all have a gift, we have a part to play in that. So what's the part you're called to play? That's a fun question to ask the Lord. Mm. And the scary part is, or the exciting part is, he'll tell you. That is slightly terrifying. Next thing you know, you're doing Teachable Tuesday. <laughs> you duped me, Lord. I let myself oh, be duped. Oh, gosh. Well, I just want to thank you guys for being here and thank you for growing with us and teaching us and learning from each other as a community. We're not always getting it right and I want to apologize for the ways that we've gotten it wrong and we are learning and praying a lot and I just want to encourage you to continue to pray to continue to lean into God's heart take what Father Parks shared please to prayer whether a question specifically for you or for someone else I know I will be as well and we love you and we're so glad that you're here, every single one of you. And yeah. Okay. Thanks, Father. Thank you. God bless Until you. Until next time. Bye, guys.